there. This is the Hello Personality Podcast, the place for curious and open people who want to take their personality type from a casual curiosity to a life-changing path for growth. I'm Leslie McDaniel, and this is Season 2, Episode 12, the final episode of this season on the Enneagram. Now, we won't be closing the books forever on the Enneagram, but we will switch back to the 16-type system for the next season, and then we'll return again to the Enneagram in Season 4. Even though I'm going to take a little bit of a break after this episode, there might be a little surprise coming your way between seasons. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't already so that you don't miss that surprise. Today, we have some listener questions about the Enneagram. And thank you so much to those of you who submitted questions. I really, really, really love hearing what you're thinking about and the questions that you have because it helps me to fine tune this podcast to the types of things that you really want to hear. If you didn't submit a question this time, that's totally okay. Unless something changes, I plan to continue these listener Q&A episodes at the end of each season. So you can just submit a question next time around. So let's go ahead and dive in. The first question comes from Amanda. Amanda actually has two questions. So the first one was, is it okay to type other people just as a way to understand them better and not tell them their type? Well, Amanda, I assume that you're talking about passive typing in which they're not aware of your observations and you making an assessment of their type. And I really, really appreciate your concern and consideration with this question because inherent in the question is allowing people to have their own journeys and not automatically assuming or automatically labeling someone uh, and assuming that you know them better than they might know themselves. So I would say, by all means, use your knowledge to try to better understand where someone is coming from and what may be driving their behaviors. But keep in mind that you may not be right. And if it helps you to have a better understanding of them, which would result, hopefully, in more compassion and empathy and possibly less triggering or reactivity on your part, if you can identify uh, where the behavior is coming from and that it's not actually about you, but that it's coming from their worldview, then by all means, use your Enneagram knowledge. Uh, Where I see this crossing the line is if you start to tell the person why they're doing this or why they're doing that without an invitation for your assessment of their behavior. So in other words, if they're not asking you for your feedback or your observations, then I would not just tell them these things. That doesn't often go very well, and it puts you in the seat of the expert in their life. However, if you do get an invitation to share what you're seeing, maybe somebody knows that you're really into personality type and they're curious about what you might think about their type, remember that they may not be ready to hear all that you have to say. And so they may not be ready to see their own patterns. So try to look at what the person knows and what they might be ready to hear before you make a decision on what to share. And also keep in mind that you may have misread or misinterpreted what you saw. So I would say as long as you use your knowledge from a place of humility and openness, I don't see any problem with trying to identify someone's type from afar. Always, always, always hold it lightly or hold your conclusion lightly and be willing to adjust that conclusion if new information comes up. 
Okay, so that was the first question from Amanda. And her second question is, what's the thinking on nature versus nurture when it comes to Enneagram types? Oh, this is such a great question. And it's something that a lot of people are curious about. So the general consensus seems to be that you're basically born with your personality type, or at least you're born with the predisposition to develop a particular set of defensive patterns that correlate to a particular Enneagram type. And in general, what I have seen is that is what most of the experts and people who have studied the Enneagram uh, have come to believe. So if we think about how this happens, how do we have a predisposition? How do we develop an Enneagram type? All parents are imperfect, or all parents or all caregivers, I should say, are imperfect to some degree. Some, obviously, more than others. But even if you had the most brilliant and loving parents out there, they couldn't meet your every need to the fullest extent that's possible. And that's because they're human. So as a very, very young child, you began to develop a personality structure that used adaptive strategies to try to get all of your needs met. So let me use an example of a type three. So imagine a really, really young type three, and they are beginning to observe their world and notice things about their world. And they begin to observe that they don't really seem to be loved and valued for just being. Now, this is coming from the type three's perspective, right? Their, their little understanding of the world and of uh, their experiences of the people around them doesn't necessarily mean it's true. <laughs> but they be, believe that they have to perform or achieve or do something to be valued or loved. They really start to hone in and focus on the praise that they get, the uh, positive attention that they get when they do achieve or accomplish something. So as a result, this little type three child would begin to use those strategies of performing and doing things for love and for a sense of value and worth and becoming what others expect of them. So over time, these adaptive patterns and strategies become a firm personality structure. And it was needed at that time. And it's actually quite healthy for us to have a firm personality structure at that point in our life. But now you're an adult and you no longer need those adaptive strategies that are provided by your Enneagram type. And that's why many of us do the work of beginning to undo the personality ego or the personality structure in the Enneagram system to try to get back to who we were underneath before we began these uh, began focusing on and using these adaptive strategies. There's a really great book by some wonderful people, uh, The Enneagram Guide to Waking Up by Beatrice Chestnut and Urani Opais. And in the beginning of each chapter uh, that is on each type, there's a story of each type as a child and a little description, sort of a analogy or anecdote of how this personality structure formed for each type. So check that out for more information. Okay, so this next question comes from Birgit, and I really hope that I'm pronouncing your name correctly with my American accent. Uh, I apologize if I'm not. 
But Birgit is referencing in her question an episode in season two, episode five, on the subtypes of Enneagram types eight, nine, and one. And they have a little bit of a background here, so I'm going to just read the full question. Birgit says, this episode explains some things that I've been wondering about. I'm a type nine, self-preservation. I figured that out after listening to your episode about subtypes for the body types. I think my mother is a type three. My question is about the trigger and comfort point. You haven't mentioned this in your podcast so far. Okay, so a side note from me before I finish uh, reading Birgit's question is that I believe they're referencing the uh, stress and uh, security points when they're using the words trigger and comfort. So trigger would be the stress point and security point would be what they're referencing as the comfort point. Okay, so back to the question. I wonder about one thing. For my mother, her comfort place or security place will be type six and type nine will be her trigger point or stress point. And for me, it will be the opposite. I often find myself triggered and fatigued after visiting my parents' place. I thought until now that my head and my thinking is my energy center. But now I understand that turning into my head is actually what makes my inner critic thrive and my depressive thoughts more dominant. Do you think I am correct in my assumptions? And may this dynamic between the trigger and comfort points explain my resistance towards the advice that my mother gives me? All right, so Birgit, I love the depth of your question. And just for anyone else who's listening, we're going to cover some more advanced topics about the Enneagram. And if you're not there, that's totally okay. So the first thing is just a reminder with the note that I put in there, the arrow lines that are between the points on the Enneagram. So if you look on an Enneagram symbol, there are lines on the inside that connect numbers to each other. And every number is connected to two other numbers by lines. Now, traditionally, those lines were called the points of integration or point of disintegration or another set of names would be stress and growth, or stress and security. Those are all names for the two different lines. And the with arrows, meaning the arrow that points towards a number, uh, like if you imagine looking at your, your Enneagram type, the arrow that points at another number, we call that the with arrow, would be the point of stress or disintegration, traditionally speaking. And it makes sense because it's easy to flow in the direction of that arrow, right? Because it's there's no block there. So the against arrow, so if you look at your Enneagram type, there is an arrow that points at you, at your number. And traditionally, that has been called the growth or security or integration point. And again, sort of just looking at the picture, it makes sense that it might be a little bit harder and it might take some conscious effort because that arrow point is pointing at you. So you kind of have to go against the flow a little bit. So the problem with this understanding, this, the integration, disintegration, stress, growth, is that it implies that you only move to one number when you're under stress or when you're being reactive it also implies that you only move to one number when you're healthy or growing. 
So I think this perspective of the Enneagram, I believe, if I am remembering correctly, first originated from Rizzo and Hudson and their perspective on the Enneagram. But from my understanding of other teachers that uh, Russ Hudson has even changed his mind about this perspective of the Enneagram and that it's not so cut and dried of just one arrow in growth and one arrow in stress. The more recent understanding of the arrows in the Enneagram is that you can actually move along both lines in stress and in growth. So if we only look at one arrow in stress and one arrow in uh, growth, we miss opportunities for self-reflection and self-observation to see how we're showing up when we do, quote, travel to the other numbers. So that truth is a little more nuanced about the arrows. You can move to both numbers at the other end of your arrows in positive ways or in healthy ways and in more unconscious or less positive ways. Okay, so Birgit, that was a little background on my perspective of the arrows and a little more um, recent understanding of how the arrows can be accessed for us. But going back to your question, if you go to or you take on some of the characteristics of type six in an unconscious way, if you're a type nine, what that means is you're going to take on some of the more unhealthy characteristics of type six. So when type six people are not acting in a more growth or higher level way, for example. Um, And so what might happen for you, because you're a type nine, you might get really angry at not being considered or angry at not being protected. And you might focus more on problems and threats to your comfort. Because type nines have the passion of sloth, it's anything that sort of disrupts that um, stability or equilibrium is not okay for a type nine. And they want to try to keep things as the status quo, so to speak. So If your mom goes to type six, if she's a type three and she goes to or takes on some of the type six characteristics in an unhealthy or unconscious way, she might become more paranoid and fearful and she might be uh, more anxious and alarmed when things slow down for her when she's not in action and she might also start to experience analysis paralysis. So understanding what might be happening for both of you if you move to six in an unconscious way, I think can help answer your question. Your recognition of the pattern that you may be operating differently or reacting differently when you visit other numbers makes sense. But I think your question maybe has a much simpler answer than all of what I've just shared. And you asked the question, not your mom, right? So I'm going to focus on helping you to become more conscious and aware of what might be happening in this situation. I would encourage you to recognize that type nines are often very resistant to advice anyway, like just ignoring any movement to any line. Type nines tend to be resistant to being told what to do, tend to be resistant to advice, because again, they don't want to have to kind of move from what is familiar, what they know, um, what they feel is the thing that's kind of keeping them at peace right? That's just a regular old type pattern for type nine. And all of us have those types of things related to our passion of our type. 
So with that in mind, I would encourage you to notice what's behind your resistance. Is it a threat to the status quo or to your own comfort or your own routines? Or maybe there's something you already know in the back of your mind that you want to be doing. And maybe your mother's advice conflicts with that. And maybe you haven't quite stepped out into action, into the right action toward that thing that you really do want. And so that could be also causing some of the resistance or maybe some some anger, some frustration. So I would encourage you to notice how you're showing up with your mom. And notice whether your response to her, your resistance, as you called it, is coming from a more reactive or unconscious place. A healthy or positive movement to type six for you would include expressing your own opinions, maybe even to your mom, and maybe even risking conflict and learning to say no or go against what your mom advises and to express your own convictions. Just make sure that if you choose to do this, that it's coming from a very conscious place and not a reactive place and that it's not related to just your typical type nine resistance and type nine patterns. So let's look at what the healthy movement might look like to type three for you. A healthy or positive movement to type three would be for you to take charge of your own life, to become more self-confident and maybe even promote yourself a little bit more. By also going to type three in a healthy way, you would be able to set some of your own goals and get energized by working toward those. Okay then, well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much to Amanda and Birgit for your questions. And can I ask you a favor? If you've enjoyed the Hello Personality podcast, would you leave a rating and review? I would really appreciate it for a couple of reasons. One, it would help more people to find the show. And that's always good because more people will be able to be helped by what we're talking about here on the podcast. And the second reason is that it would just really help me to know that you're out there listening and enjoying the show. And I've talked to other podcasters about this and the feeling is often mutual. We love hearing from you because it helps us to know who's out there and helps us to feel more connected to you. Since this is the end of season two, I'm going to take a little break before season three starts in just a few weeks. However, be on the lookout for the season three trailer to know what's coming up in the next season. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I might just have a surprise for you coming soon. So be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss it. In the meantime, I would love for you to leave a rating and review, and you can also use this little break to catch up on any episodes that you missed. I'll be back soon, so take care, and I'll see you then.